Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Green. You can follow all of my content at legendaryupside.com. With me today, John Daigle, 4 for 4. Daigle and I came up together at Rotor World. Daigle uh, texted me that he wanted to fight me on a pod about a week after I was hired, and we've been friends ever since. Fight with you on a pod, but also the man who put you in touch with those who will remain unnamed just in case you wanted to hedge out of your potential two million live during a week 17 prime that's time true. Game. so still a good friend despite fighting with you that's true this is a little behind the scenes i did i did not end up hedging um which worked out well for me yeah. uh but it came it came close to trying to work something out it was a little last minute um i was trying to i literally if you uh were watching ship chasing that night you saw that i got up at one point to take a phone call it was in relation to potentially uh-huh. hedging uh didn't didn't end up working something out in time um all for the good but yeah daigle daigle almost helped out in a big way there certainly uh would have made the situation a little less volatile <laughs> you can be the guy who may have to hedge or the guy who knows the people that can help you hedge uh unfortunately you're the one with the two million not me so i have to be <laughs> the other one <laughs> well i do appreciate it but we're gonna uh be diving into best ball uh fittingly here and uh, I know you've been kind of in the weeds like I have on all these best ball drafts and, mm-hmm. and drafting and, and everything. We were supposed to draft together yesterday on stream, but uh, Eric Bimefour came in and swiped your spot in the <laughs> draft. So uh, it was just me, Eric, and Hayden. Uh, no, sorry, not Hayden, Chris Chris G., although Hayden was also on the stream, in that draft. Um, so, yeah, we haven't drafted together in a while, but wanted to get your thoughts on – just kind of the overall landscape. So that'll be kind of the the topic for today, just kind of the, the best ball landscape right now. And then you and I both have been in the content minds, the blurb minds. We're familiar with how the summer tends to play out and how, you know, we're going to see guys rise and fall through OTAs and through training camp. Um, and there's going to be a lot of movements in the market from this point on. So kind of wanted to, to talk a little bit about that process and any players that jump out there, but, Let's just kind of talk about where things sit right now because it's a pretty interesting year, right? Like quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, like things are are pretty different from last year. We are seeing the top three quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Jalen Hurts in whatever order go inside the top 30 picks. We're also seeing that even if you draft Christian McCaffrey, whether it be pick number two through five, it's more than possible right now to get – one also of Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, um, maybe even Derrick Henry in your next few picks as well as running back prices, especially in that round two through three range with Josh Jacobs and Brees Hall too, have depressed. And we're still all navigating this rule of thumb, this unwritten rule that we should have four wide receivers by round seven and basically make well, sure it's we written. Hayden, Hayden has written it down. That's true. It is written. Uh <laughs> Or, as Hayton has also written, basically just live by drafting a receiver every other round because it's so important. And I still think I don't mind if I do have four or five in those first seven or eight rounds. I don't mind trying to be different and only going with six strong wide receivers and just betting on the ones I have already. But yeah, drafts are certainly interesting because that running backfield, it feels a lot like how you won last year and taking advantage of the early Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook dips. Um, Mm -hmm. And yes, you had... 
Eckler and Barkley, not Dalvin Cook, who had a career low 15 and a half carries per game while still dealing with those chronic shoulder injuries last year. But at the same time, that was the dip we took advantage of. And it just seems like that's what's happening with Tony Pollard, Nick Chubb, Derrick Henry, and Josh Jacobs right now. So I still go back and forth. It looks uglier for sure whenever you start two or three running backs. Uh, your wide receivers you're not as confident in. But we have some, from a micro standpoint, what I consider to be discounts right now and Deontay Johnson, Traylon Burks, and a couple of others who have historically earned targets whenever they've been the only ones on the field. So I, I don't hate it at all right now. Uh, what about you and how you're handling the situation currently at the end of June? Beginning of yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing more early running back selections than I typically do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, to your point, the discounts right now, I think are pretty evident. Um, and you can argue about like, you know, is this efficient? Is this not efficient? Should running backs be going here just because they're going later? Does that mean we should be drafting them or were we drafting them too high in the first place? I tend to be more on the wide receiver side of those questions, but I do tend to think that these running back prices are not going to last. Like, I don't think these are the August ADPs. And so in the same way that like, yeah, you couldn't really pair Austin Eckler and Saquon Barkley, you know, in the middle of the draft, I was out of the 107. Um, and so you would have needed like a real late Austin Eckler slide, uh, which is very improbable or like Saquon Barkley to slip from the one, two turn where he kind of ended up all the way to the mid second, the odds of actually pairing that were very low by the time you got late into draft season. That was one of the advantages of drafting in that early period is that you could pair those two together. It wasn't the only advantage of drafting early, but you know, that was definitely kind of an early draft type of thing. Um, I also in that on that team, I hit on a running back in the 10th round in Ramondre Stevenson, who ended up going higher after that. I think that's what makes drafting right now kind of interesting and challenging is that I think both pockets have running back value again. Right. Like the, the second and the third round both have running back value. But like the sixth to the 11th or 12th. There's a lot of guys in that range that I really like. And so for me, it's like balancing uh, getting enough of the running back discounts early on, but still having the flexibility to attack the running backs in the later pockets of the draft. Um, Because you can kind of lock yourself out. Like if you just get all the running back value early, now you're weak at wide receiver and the draft Mm -hmm. swings back around. Wide receivers are gone and there's just running backs and you've already taken your running backs. And from a micro standpoint, that's the issue I also come across whenever I do get sucked into this, what we both believe is this advantageous current vortex of the running backs dipping in rounds two to three, strong running backs dipping to that point. Um, Because then, as Hayden Winks has written on Underblog, you don't want to box yourself out and draft your RB3s and four too early, uh, unless you are just trying to build different and imagine flexing a running back weekly, which is something I probably need to start ingraining in myself more, at least at this time of the offseason. But usually what I do is get two, and then I say, okay, I'm still trying to add wide receivers and pretend like I'm flexing a wide receiver here. And then it gets back to what you mentioned, the middle rounds. And then there are 
potentially low-end RB1s there since they're all just getting pushed down between Alexander Madison, Isaiah Pacheco, David Montgomery, James Conner, Brian Robinson, Dalvin Cook, Rashad White, Samaji P. Ryan, the list goes on and on and on. Um, I didn't even mention Kenneth Walker, Damian Harris, some just touchdown or bust options that I really like in half PPR formats too. And they're all there, and then we're basically forced to avoid them if we go two or three strong running backs. So I'm still tinkering around with it. I think my biggest takeaway – though at this time, is how quarterbacks are being handled. Uh, it is the time of the year where I, I talk about a lot of regression just because as I'm building out team preview shells, as I'm just understanding offenses that I think will improve on a whole, and that tells me individual players that I want to start targeting, uh, this is the kind of stuff I'm looking at. And even if you look at Paulson's projections live on 44.com, he doesn't have a single quarterback projected for 22 fantasy points per game. And that might seem crazy after last year, Three, the big three, averaged over 24 points per game. But historically, when you look at it, uh, only 12 quarterbacks over the last decade have averaged 24 points per game. And that includes last year's big three. Also, four of those 12 performances were during the 2020 pandemic season when there were no rules in football. They only said, swallow your whistle, make football fun because there's nothing else on TV, and every player exploded. <laughs> like, uh, there was a quarterback, I think it was Patrick Mahomes, averaged 27 points per game that season. It was absolutely insane. And so think about that historical context and then also realize that if we're expecting this you know, that not to happen again, especially among three players, and those three are also being drafted in the top 30, then I say, okay, if the next tier, four through 12, are going to just stay the same, and so thus the tiers are going to collapse together in the end, I don't mind waiting and getting these sudden discounts we're seeing in Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, uh, Anthony Richardson, Tua, the list goes on and on of all the mid to low end quarterback ones. So that's kind of how I'm handling it right now. Unfortunately, it's the same way I played the big board before the draft. And so like, I don't have much of the elite quarterback tier and it feels so dirty after what those three did last year. But right now I think it's just what makes sense in drafts. Um, also of late, what's happened is that I think we're overthinking ourselves, or at least we can start using the information for our draft rooms. Because what's happened, and we talked about this on that stream on the 4-4 YouTube yesterday. For instance, last night even, I went to cater my own rankings again. I'm usually doing it every morning now and just making notes and adjusting the rankings for tournaments specifically. And I started Travis Kelsey, 106, and then Devonta Smith on the comeback uh, around that wide receiver two tier after... Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, or after Jalen Waddle and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Mm. And then what happens naturally then is that both Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes don't, or they come back around because everyone's already intelligently thinking, I can't stack this player, so I don't want him. And so right. like, then you could start starting actually Kelsey elite running back and Mahomes naturally because everyone's going to let Mahomes slide 10 picks, 10 to 12 picks because they don't want him because they can't stack him anymore. And that's the way it's kind of working. And so that's sort of the, the approach I've been leading into these past few days. And I think that's what's happening because quarterback prices, even those top three are suddenly depressing. And I do genuinely think it's only because you can't stack them right now. And so that's kind of what I've been leaning into recently. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I saw in the MFL 10 of death, I think, yeah, Sigmund Bloom had taken that Kelsey Devonta Smith start. Mm -hmm. And then I I like it because it gives you two outs to one of those guys falling. So, you know, you're 
you're locking in, you're reaching a bit on Smith and you're locking in not getting one of the running back values. But at the same time, I don't know, that seems like a pretty sweet start. <laughs> Kelsey, yeah. Demonta Smith, and either Hurts or Mahomes. So uh, that kind of pushing the quarterbacks around the turn is something I've been trying to do more of. I haven't done that one specifically, but I'm intrigued by it. I've, d- I've done it a bit with Fields, where you get DJ Moore um, on the the end of the fourth, and then you try to push Fields around the turn. That one's tough because people will just take Fields sometimes. You can, um, you know, I think I've tried to do it with Lawrence as well on the next turn. The the interesting thing for me, and I think one reason that quarterbacks are falling a little bit is that you are seeing Fields and Burrow fall back to the four or five turn more often. And Herbert. And Herbert, yeah. And yeah. and you were so early on, like Fields and and Burrow were more up in that kind of three, four turn area or mm-hmm. the early fourth. And I always found that especially Burroughs ADP, I found that very odd because who are you stacking Burrow with? Is that a Tyler Boyd, Irv Smith Burrow team? I mean, it just doesn't seem like a ton of upside to me. And as soon as Burrow started falling a little bit to where like a, a T Higgins reach or even Jamar Chase at, at 102, you might have a chance to get him at the end of the fourth. If you know that's a possibility, why are you taking Mahomes or Hertz or Allen? If you know that you can get Burrow, and I've recently done that in a in a draft, um, in a in a bulldog, I, I did. I was like, I'm going for it. I did Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Brees Hall, who I knew would be there in the third, so I reached for Higgins in the second, mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, I, I'm going to play for Burrow, and he came back. And it's like if that happens, it's really tough to talk yourself into. Mahomes after going Jamar Chase if you think you can get Burrow in the fourth so I I tend to think that this effect is going to continue a little bit that it's all sort of building on itself to some extent I I also think there's a little bit of an edge and I wonder how many people have already done this in breaking the rest of the room's brain and going Kelsey and you can't get Kelsey and Jamar Chase obviously but you can get Kelsey T Higgins Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon for that week 17 correlation um, so, because what happens is that when everyone drafts Kelsey, thus they are naturally already linking themselves. I make this mistake. If you consider a mistake at times with Mahomes too, but if we're just go ahead and stacking for week 17 anyways, why don't we just go ahead and jump to burrow and try to beat the Jamar chase drafter to him. And so that's another approach I like taking. Cause you're saying you're blocking the burrow drafter. Cause you're, you're, you're earlier in the fourth than he is. Cause you want Kelsey that you get Higgins before the chase yeah. drafter. So you've boxed him out. I like that. And, That's and Higgins, although that would also likely mean starting zero RB because Mixon around that 50 ADP would be your first RB, RB which I don't mind, by the way, even in just my you could go RB in the third, right? You could, yes, because Burrow then comes back unless the chase owner reaches for Burrow. But I'm pretty sure you'd be okay with, yes, Kelsey Higgins running back, Burrow, Mixon. That's certainly so possible. you have one wide receiver through, through five that's, rounds. That's a little that's tough. the payoff you have. Yeah. But yeah. it's just it's it's those little intricacies that right now I'm definitely toying with. I like it. Yeah, that's fun. Um, I'm gonna pull up this chart from Hayden here. Mm-hmm. Um, Hayden Winks tweeted this out. How ADPs have changed from 2022 to 2023. It says these changes are extreme. They are pretty extreme. So 
Um, this this quarterback ADP, the top eight quarterbacks are being drafted 20 picks earlier, it says up here. Uh, and then quarterbacks 13 to 24 are being drafted 14 picks earlier. So that's that has been the tough part for me is that quarterback just overall feels a little bit more expensive. I guess you're getting kind of this quarterback 7 to 12 range is, is about where it used to be. But it's still higher. It doesn't dip below. So quarter, the quarterback position as a whole looks like it's being drafted a bit higher. And that's made it tough for me to completely ignore these elites. Even though I've now that they're dropping, I'm sort of chilling out. But I did the same thing as you. And the big board, I was like, I'm not touching these guys at these prices. Mm-hmm. I can get Anthony Richardson really late. Like I can do other things. There's there's ways to attack this a little bit differently. Three quarterback builds are more viable in a 20 round structure. You know, I feel way better about doing a three quarterback. Um, It's so early that like, you know, the, the 20th round pick that I'm giving up on is might not even like be on an NFL team, you know, compared to the third quarterback. So I just felt like I could figure out quarterback more easily without an elite. In some of my early best ball mania drafts, though, I capitulated and I, I went with the early guys, partly because Richardson was rocketing up. And I just felt like I had less outs to like finding quarterback high end production later because of this, because of, you know, quarterback 16 through 22 is like is priced up as well. You're not like being able to sit back and get any kind of quarterback discounts later on. It just seems like people are quarterback thirsty right now. That makes a lot of sense, which is also why, as we've talked about, then I fall back to the next tier of quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, amid those argued QB4 through QB7s, I think makes the most sense as the player who could leap into the top three. Um, Only 23% of his dropbacks last year came with both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the field. And then in those dropbacks, he led the league in completion rate. Uh, Everyone is trying to force him to a higher depth of target after he's been 25th and 36th in that category the last two seasons. And maybe Kellen Moore does that, but honestly, he's looking up at the same players this year. He's still going to drop back, see Jalen Guyton, and say no thanks and dump the ball off. And that's okay because they have Quentin Johnston. Like I know, I know everyone sees this 6'2", 208 Johnston as like the next deep threat, but that's not who he is. He's been terrible at contested catches downfield, actually. Right. He's just big Brandon Ayuk averaging 7.7 yards after the catch per reception and leading TCU and receiving each of the last three seasons. And so I want Herbert to actually keep this a dot because that's great when we add good players to it. So I think Herbert's the one that can make the leap. And the next one, because I know you've also talked about whether it be on our stream the other day or on this show in particular in the past about making sure your backup quarterbacks also have that ceiling, uh, have a history of that ceiling too, not just grabbing, thinking, okay, I'm looking for spike weeks here. With all three of DK Metcalf, Jackson Smith and Jigba, and Tyler Lockett as top 70 players, in some cases top 65 or top 60, Geno Smith is the one around 130. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, He's not getting dragged along with his wide receivers. Instead, he's getting buried behind uh, Daniel Jones, Aaron Rodgers a lot of times after a career low points per game and career low touchdown rate, um, Tua as well. And it just doesn't, doesn't make sense at all when he should be a low-end QB1 that can actually compete as a top eight guy. So, yeah, I like Geno Smith a lot in that mid-range as well. Yeah, he's interesting too because the way the wide receiver ADP is starting to fall now, you can get Jackson Smith and Jigba and Tyler Lockett at the 5-6 turn. Mm-hmm. 
And then you can usually get Gino. I think you have to reach a little bit to, to secure him uh, later on, but you can get him pretty easily. So I've, I've done some Gino stacks recently. I wasn't doing a ton early, but the ADP's starting to fall in a pretty nice way. <clears throat> um, I actually do like Daniel Jones. I think he's mm-hmm. got, you know, the ceiling of, you know, his, his rushing ability plus, you know, some okay passing ability. Plus he's in the second, the second year in this day ball system. So maybe he takes a little bit of a step forward. Maybe Jalen Hyatt comes on at the end of the year, provides a little bit of, of deep play ability. Darren Waller stays healthy. I mean, he was dealing with like really, really rough weapons last year. I mean, you know, I think Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton are okay. Wanda Robinson looked okay, but it's like he should have those guys plus some additional guys. And it took them like weeks to even find Hodgins. You know, Hodgins was started the year on the Bills. They were playing like Marcus Johnson out there. Uh, obviously, they had to to give up on Kenny Galladay. Uh, so even kind of the guys they ended this season with who weren't ideal were, were an improvement on the early season stuff. Daniel Jones also, anytime you finish top five and rushing points per game at his position, um, certainly it'll be available for top three, top five spike weeks sporadically throughout the year. So I definitely like Daniel Jones a lot, not to mention that his – stacking partners can be unique it doesn't have to necessarily be Barkley especially because in my opinion there's no way Barkley leads this team in targets again after all the options they added and it's a plethora of different options too like you have the Jalen Hyatt skill set if he ever figures it out it can break into a rotational role immediately you have Darren Waller who was oddly schemed the highest depth of target among all tight ends last year with a terrible deep throw in Derek Carr made zero sense so I would imagine Waller gets brought back closer to the line of scrimmage yeah. and does offer a high target share again, 25% target share from 2019 to 2021, and just a 16% last year behind Devontae Adams. Made no sense at all how Josh McDaniel used him. And so that's what I keep coming back to. I know you're high on Isaiah Hodgins, who I did recently bump up the rankings just because of you um, in those last few rounds. Uh, Darius Slayton also proved very valuable whenever he won a few routes there. Sterling Shepard can never stay healthy, but his last 10 games, 7.7 targets per game. So there's just a lot of ways you can get unique, even if you're just tacking on guys as your wide receiver seven or eight with Daniel Jones too. Yeah, I think he's interesting and gives you that, that rushing ability, which if we have to kind of think about like what's going on at quarterback and kind of zoom out, I mean, quarterback, we've been, I wrote about this last year about how um, we had been like really good at predicting quarterbacks over the last couple of years. Rich Rebar wrote an article about the quarterback ADP and how accurate it had been. And it's like this question we were all kind of asking last year, like, are we just getting lucky or have we figured something out? Mm-hmm. And then we nailed it again. And so it really feels like we figured something out. I do think we are also getting a little lucky with some of the guys like we're some of the guys with like their, you know, two years ago, we got really lucky with Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford and stuff. And then they kind of disappeared those. I don't know that we've gotten that much better at predicting the pocket passers outside of a guy like Burrow. You know, I I feel pretty confident about him, but I do think that we have kind of collectively as a market figured out how important quarterback rushing is and are pretty good at pricing it now. And Anthony Richardson would be the best example of this. We're like, we just got burned by Trey Lance. Anthony Richardson, I think maybe has more red flags as a passer than Lance did. And Lance obviously looks pretty rough as a passer. And yet he's going in the eighth round. 
It's like we got burned by Lance in the seventh. So it's like, all right, we'll take him in the eighth. <laughs> we won't we won't chase Richardson into the seventh, but the eighth is fine. Um, I just think it, I think it's interesting that I actually think it might feel kind of like like fishy that we're just like chasing this dude. We don't even know if he's good into the eighth round. But to me, it's kind of an efficient market thing where it's like we just are trusting trusting the rushing and we're not letting the fact that Lance burned us really hard. Uh, pull us off of that. Where are you at on the on the on the Anthony Richardson debate? I do wonder how much more he will surge because what we're arguing for him is not his floor. Like just by naturally, we assume he'll start 17 games. At least that's what I base up. That's what I'm assuming based on the quotes we heard from Steichen post drafting him. But with 8.1 carries per game, 55 and a half rushing yards as well over his last two seasons with Florida. Just by starting, he offers the floor. Where we right. get the ceiling is by the passing. Um, and I, I do worry about that since he just doesn't have the experience. I don't even consider it. I know a lot of people get really angry when you talk about him, thinking that uh, a lot of people, even like Florida fans, thinking that he just wasn't good. But I don't consider it not good through the air. I just consider it completely raw. Like he only had 455 dropbacks in college. Um, he needs a lot more experience. So I do wonder if we'll actually get that ceiling passing. But – all we're looking for really when we draft him is our spike weeks and those playoff weeks. Like, and so I'm hoping really when I draft him that it comes along in the last month of the season, that's all I care about. And then, yeah. so I usually still tack on two quarterbacks actually with Anthony Richardson, but admittedly I don't have him much because I, I still haven't understood or played his ADP correctly right now. I think it might continue to go up, which is one reason I've still, it's not skyrocketing him. though that's the thing it's like a slow burn which is what's confusing me every time i go to draft him yeah no if anything i would say it's it's gone down a little bit yep. from its height and i think it'll probably chill out in this range for the next two months mm -hmm. i don't think we're gonna see his adp really go up until it becomes clear that he is gonna start week one i think he is gonna start week one everything that came out from uh, the post-draft uh, press conferences and out of OTAs, they, they were already giving him reps with the ones in, in OTAs. You could argue like, oh, he's not like fully ahead of Gardner Minshew yet, but it's like it's raw rookie, you know, like the fact that some teams would be like, I mean, we saw this with the Bears, right? They're like, we have a plan for Justin Fields. It's, it's Andy Dalton is our starter. Justin Fields, we have a plan. We're going to bring him along slowly. We're going to get ourselves fired. That is our plan here in Chicago. And – I think we're not hearing that out of um, the Colts. We're hearing we think guys learn through experience and he's already getting reps with the one. So that's kind of my feeling on it. Is you, you probably have a couple of months to try to mix him in if you want to mix him in at these prices. And maybe he even falls a little bit to more like the end of the eighth, beginning of the ninth. But I think we could have a real big training camp surge on him uh, once he's repping with the ones more often. Well, we only have two more weeks of OTAs before players go away and get arrested for doing dumb shit. So <laughs> yeah, take advantage of it right now because right. We're just hoping that they won't get news blurbs on him. That will make his ADP surge in that time. Well, you brought up the, the two quarterback, three quarterback thing. I want to get, get a little bit more detail on that because mm -hmm. I've been like, where in this kind of range um, are you drawing the line? Like is it, is if you have Deshaun Watson, are you taking just one more quarterback or are you taking three or, or is it Dak Prescott? It sounds like Anthony Richardson sort of passed the point where you're 
you're looking to just do too? Anthony Richardson is the type of player, and again, based on his ADP right now, I could be playing that wrong uh, entirely. But when it comes to Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, as much confidence as I have in them, Aaron Rodgers included, if that's where I start actually taking my QB1, just based on the stacks I have through the first seven rounds, then that's when I'm going three quarterbacks. Because I, I like actually quite a few quarterbacks at the end, but I don't necessarily have confidence in them in two QB builds, not only for their limited rushing ability, but also just based on AP if I'm waiting that long for spike weeks. Like, I'm betting big, for better or worse, on huge bounce back from Matthew Stafford, Kenny Pickett. I I add in uh, both Sam Howell and Brock Purdy still a last year on guy, and every piece of news we get, maybe it's fluff, but nothing suggests he's not starting week one. Like, it's gone the opposite end of the spectrum. Just saying, like, everyone's saying he's going to be ready and that that's why he'll already be throwing at OTAs. So, um, yeah, I've been mixing in a ton of Brock Purdy as as a QB2 as well in that last round. So, it really just depends. But I think if you had to have a card cutoff, it's Daniel Jones for me. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I could see I, – I think I've done Daniel Jones as just quarterback – as a two-quarterback build, but I don't love it. But I, mm-hmm. I like, well, he's got rushing ability. You know, that'll help me. That'll kind of give me the weekly floor a little bit more than, you know, some of these pure pocket passers. Like, how I think long, even. How long have you been waiting to add your QB2 for two QB builds when you draft an elite option? Let's say Deshaun Watson up. I would say even higher than Deshaun Watson, I'm willing to punt. I'm willing to punt like pretty cool. late. Not to um, generally guys like Howell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Purdy would intrigue me more than than Hal for something like this because I, my feeling has been like you know if he misses games early, that's one thing, but maybe he'll be back by the end of the year, and um, you know help me get that, or let's say by midseason and help me get uh, through a bye week and maybe he's maybe he helps out in a playoff game. I don't think he's going to get benched, or at least I'm not as worried about that as like a Howell or a Ritter. Um, but I generally try to get somebody with a little more job security if possible. I kind of like Jordan Love in that range as like a quarterback too, who's like probably like slightly before the true punts. I do take some Stroud. Um, He's so much cheaper than Bryce Young that even though I don't love Stroud, I I end up with a fair amount of them. You can also backdoor stack him pretty easily. But one of the things I was looking at is that really late quarterback two has not been a good strategy. But if you pair it with elite quarterback one, I'm working on, on an article about this, then it's it works. Like it, it has, well, I should say it has worked. Now, it doesn't work any better than not punting your quarterback two, but you can, it allows you to kind of do some other stuff, right? It's like if you can take your quarterback two from round 11 to round 16, well, that in and of itself, it might be about the same. But then if you structure your team with the knowledge that you're going to have like, okay, I'm going to have like an extra round 11 pick. Maybe I'm more willing to go zero running back or hero running back and, you know, target that 11th round area of the draft where we know running backs are pretty good picks, you know, or it's a 10th round pick. It's, you know, 10th round, you're right in the heart of that running back group. So I'm kind of trying to think through that. Like, can I unlock what is normally a suboptimal tactic of punting quarterback two, and then use that to unlock something else which, that I, that actually is good. Which is funny because I would think naturally anyone who drafts elite quarterback or elite tight end 
is then already waiting until the very end. Like that's just the assumption that you can avoid that position at cap at even mid capital ADP since you already used ADP on an elite option. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine it's, it's fairly common to do, but I think that then it's like, okay, but what did you, what else did you do? You know, because if you have that second quarterback is coming from a range of the draft where you would probably want to take a running back. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, and if you want to take a running back in that range of the draft, then maybe you don't need to take a running back early. Cause you get, one extra running back pick in that round 11 range. So like, and sure enough, what I was looking at was like zero running back builds work really well with the elite, you go zero running back, elite quarterback, punt quarterback too. That's kind of a fun build. It's almost the reverse of what I did last year. I did running back, running back and went three quarterback where my third quarterback was pretty early 14 round Daniel Jones. One reason I think that build worked is because I didn't need to take running backs so much in that kind of eight through 14 round range. I already had two up top. So I Mm -hmm. took one, I took one in that whole range. And then I took my running back uh, three and, or sorry, running back four and five and rounds, I think 15 and 16. Right. So, and I think that's what we were referring to earlier. I mentioned it with two running backs, but honestly, if you are taking running back three that early and assuming it's your flex option, then either way you are waiting till yeah, round 14 or 15 until you address the position again, because you've already made that investment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You have to be thinking about that the whole way. And I think I'll pull up the chart again. Cause I think that the running back ADPs make all these running back strategies really interesting. One thing that's been, one thing I've been thinking through with this is that Mike Leone put out his best ball manifesto, which showed that the best time to draft zero running back is actually later in the off season, not early. And one of the reasons that that's been the case, I would imagine is that we actually are better at knowing who has jobs in the, in the, you know, across the league. And I don't mean starting jobs necessarily, but like who is the backup on this team? Who is the, like last year, who's the backup in Cincinnati? If you asked June Pat, he would have said Chris Evans. If you asked September Pat, he would have said, I think it's Samaji Piran. And September Pat was right. So, you know, the Jalen Warren emerges during training camp. I didn't know his name in June last year. You know, it was supposed to be Benny Snell or whatever, or Anthony McFarlane. So, if you don't know a number of the depth charts, then it becomes more difficult to rely on uh, all of these late round picks to like boost your roster up. Cause you might, your odds are you're picking the wrong dude in a number of situations, or you have less viable situations to even pick from if you are trying to avoid misses. So that's been another question for me. It's like, if, if I've got this pocket and here we see on the chart, the top 24 running backs are drafted nine picks later. That's pretty big. We have this pocket here. And although we do have this other pocket where the top 40 running backs are drafted seven picks later, you do have this other pocket of value, which I want to be hitting. I don't want to ignore this early pocket from a portfolio sense, because if I get like one or two of these guys, then I don't have to worry about this group of, of running backs, which is like, who the hell knows right now? That's 
interesting too because I would need to go back and cite everything, but I swear 90% of what we learned in training camp was just useless. All it was was a detriment <laughs> to our drafting. Whereas OTAs, three wide sets, who was being used, we learned so much more. And I guarantee you it's going to be even worse in training camp this year. I'm actually excited because I think a lot of wrong moves are going to be made because they changed the rules to where uh, 90-man rosters are sticking until mm. the last cutdown day. Every single game is going to have 90-man rosters. It's absolutely insane. So the, wow. just imagine the shuffling happening, just trying to get people in different roles, trying to like see this guy because you didn't see this guy last game. The scratches aren't even going to matter at all. And then all of them are getting cut down to 53 on the same day. Uh, we don't work at Roto World anymore, Pat, so you can, <laughs> you can think that. But but yeah, like Ooh. I think it's going to be a mess in training camp this year. So I'm still deciding how to do that. I have as many BBMs as you right now under my belt, which isn't many, um, but I do want to genuinely have more and still tack this, what I consider this to be this two week pocket of ambiguity. And then also come back when everyone's using the Josh Jacobs play the entire first half information and uh, attack that those ADP dips. Yeah, that's, that's definitely sharp. I think one thing I was looking back on like the, the P Ryan thing, and it wasn't until, the last preseason game that we really knew that it was mm-hmm. P Ryan. And I went back and looked at um, the Dalton Schultz blurbs and it wasn't until the last preseason game that Dalton Schultz slightly outsnapped Blake Jarwin. But like Blake Jarwin was drafted in 97% of BBM two drafts mm-hmm. and Dalton Schultz was drafted in 13%. So that's like one thing, I'm I'm I have an article that should be out uh Monday on this late round late round kind of thinking through the late rounds basically. And it is interesting to me although some of the information obviously we're going to get wrong. We got like a lot of information over the last couple of years like really late. And I think that's going to be a key edge this year of once we get that information actually chasing it and actually maybe in a way that feels bad being like, I'm throwing out what I thought I knew and I am, and I'm going to go after this information like it's real. Because if it's real, I'm competing in the playoffs with a, I get a player that basically no one else is going to have in my playoff pod because this guy's been going undrafted. So I'm not saying to do this with, um, like, I don't know if there's like a ton of steam on Devin Singletary or something. Well, mm-hmm. Devin Singletary is getting drafted in every draft. So that's not a player I'm like going to be particularly interested in chasing up. But if like Dwayne McBride is catching a ton of steam after training camp or something, I think I'm going to be drafting him heavily. It's something I'm sort of, I'm kind of, you know, you talk about trying to draft unique players. I'm kind of thinking maybe I don't try to draft unique players right now where I'm going to miss a lot, but instead I wait until like late August and assuming BBM doesn't fill before September, you know, I wait until the last preseason game and then I just like hit the new information really hard. And even if I end up being wrong on a lot of it, I might be right on, you know, one or two players and those players can provide massive leverage if they haven't been getting drafted earlier. That's completely fair because yes, I'm definitely going to have a lot of unique players from May and June, but how many will actually breathe on an NFL football field next year? That's a terrific question. So to your point, yeah, maybe that's where the disadvantage in drafting is. Let's uh, let's talk tight ends because that's another thing that's changed a lot. 
and it's changed in some interesting ways. So you've got the here you got the Kelsey's basically still high, um, but the tight ends two through five are being drafted twelve picks later. So you got Kelsey's up here. So he's pulling this lineup by himself. But then number two, Mark Andrews, is all the way down here. So a huge gap between the the one and two tight ends. Um, and then you've got uh, the tight end position is actually getting cheaper late. So you have this interesting thing with tight end where you've got – it's kind of similar to running back where you've got some value early on, but there's a second pocket of value at tight end. That pocket of value is in the double-digit rounds. So, you know, maybe kind of the worst place to take, I actually do take some Darren Waller, but I guess maybe he would, he would be the tight end to avoid in this situation, according to kind of the historical prices. But, you know, you can get these tight ends really late, who I think have starting jobs and are pretty interesting. But you can also get tight ends who are like historical tight end prospects, who had a thousand yards as a rookie and Kyle Pitts and Mark Andrews, who I think is a true elite. Uh, you can get them way cheaper than you typically get, you know, the number two through number five tight end or whatever. And that's where I keep looking to. Uh, it was Hayden Winks, I believe. Maybe it was you. I think it was Hayden, though, that wrote 53% of 19-point performances the last two years have come from tight ends one through seven in ADP, which is why we chase elite ADP tight ends. At the same time, though, stepping back, even though I still draft Travis Kelsey because I'm not an idiot whenever he falls to 106, 107, we do have to look at the context and say, okay, 34 years old, but beyond that, um, one of only nine tight ends to average over 15 points per game since 2008, a long time. Not to mention that tight end 2 through 12 last year, that's the first time that range averaged less than nine points per game since 2008 as well. So we're sort of expecting regression from both the elite at the top and that middle range where we're trying to draft, which means that is, in my opinion, the right time to pounce on Mark Andrews, T.J. Hawkinson, George Kittle, Goddard, Darren Waller, Kyle Pitts, uh, that range of players who I'm just mixing up, even though I do admittedly have uh, probably less Kyle Pitts than most people. But overall, yeah, that's why I keep jumping on those. And then the rest of the guys that got pushed down to the end that we're just circling back around and stacking and two tight end builds. The difference from last year's, in my opinion, is that they're touchdown scores. And that's why I like it. Like Dawson Knox is now getting pushed mm. down because of Dalton Kincaid, even though Knox has the second most end zone targets among all tight ends over the last two years. Hunter Henry had a career high nine touchdowns just two years ago. Last year, he tied for the team lead with Jacoby Myers, who's not even on the Patriots anymore, and red zone targets, but he's always there. Henry is in the 18th round, too. And so those are the kind of guys I keep tacking on because they're touchdown scorers. They're spike week guys. Um, as Sam Huffman has put it, he's trying to build the next Kelsey instead of draft Travis Kelsey uh, whenever huh. that permits. And so that's kind of what I do with these guys in that elite tight end range behind Kelsey and then the 17th, 18th round. Yeah, I like that a lot. Are you ever doing stuff like uh, drafting Andrews and then two of those guys, two of like a Henry, um, you know, or Knox, like that kind of, or I, like I'll, I'll even do like a Conklin and a Kate Otten or a, you know, Conklin and a Henry plus, you know, like a Pitts or, or even an Andrews. It's just like something I'm experimenting with right now 
with so much uncertainty in those those last round picks anyway? No, but I don't hate the experiment, especially because, again, you're getting all those guys for free at the very end. So if you are stout already or not tacking on the lottery ticket wide receivers as you're like wide receiver eight or nine at that range, I definitely don't mind doing it. Conklin's one who I think is just getting dragged along because of that week 17 game against the Browns. And so if Nick Chubb, Deshaun Watson have high ADPs, Conklin naturally just getting dragged in mm. the 17th round. Yeah, I, I kind of like – I feel like he's a decent way to chase routes because I don't see him, you know, getting – what is it, Uzama's still there? I mean – Yeah, I he ran – he ran a – he had a route rate less than 60% in only three of 17 games. He was basically always out there involved. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't like to chase routes on expensive tight ends, but I like chasing routes on cheap tight ends, you know, because I think – That's called Trey McBride. Yeah, that is called Trey McBride. Yeah, I, I draft Trey McBride. Can't too. earn targets, but hey, you're gonna be out there. Whatever. You're gonna be out there. I uh, Kate Otten, I think, is actually I've I've gotten convinced that he's a better version of Trey McBride because Zach Ertz is gonna be back by the end of the year. So do I lose my routes uh, on my terrible uh, player? Kate Otten made six starts without Cam Brait last year, ran around an eighty-four percent of dropbacks. He is someone I always go to at the end. Yeah. I All like right. Kate Otten. Yeah, and I, I don't know that we'll see like a ton of price movement on these tight ends, but you know, per this chart, they are going later than they typically have. And I think we might start to feel a little bit more confident about, you know, which guys are gonna, you know, be out there a lot or which guys are generating buzz. Um and so I mean and also some some of them will probably get hurt. So then you know, the ones that don't get hurt will move up a, a bit. So I don't know that we're going to have this same pocket in August where you can just like sit back and take like two guys who have good odds of running like an 80% route rate. What I also like about at the very end is that we are then avoided avoiding the range that is getting steamed for no reason. Um, like Cole Komet being 21st mm. in targets per game among all tight ends. I don't want any part of it. And yet he's being drafted a, like around tight end 14 or 15. Irv Smith hasn't been healthy, hasn't earned targets. And yet he's being drafted as like the tight end 18 or 19. Michael Mayer and Sam Laporta keep on getting pushed up, even though rookie tight ends don't even provide spike weeks. Uh, I tweeted out the stat. Only one out of 46 second and third round tight ends since 2011 have finished top 12 in points per game. That was Jordan Reed as a rookie and not only that but they've produced a top three finish so a spike week we're looking for and only seven out of 514 appearances since wow. since 2011 they basically just don't provide consistency and they don't win your week and yet everyone is fawning over laporta and meyer who i love like you can look at my profiles in four four i love them as players but for best ball i just don't think it's worth it at all especially if everyone's running to those players in particular so yeah you combine all that, and then instead, I can wait for all these players we mentioned. That's what I do instead. Yeah. All right. I, I, I like that. I'm glad we're on the same page. Let's talk wide receiver, which we've kind of talked about by not talking about. But this is, um, you know, if everything else is less expensive other than quarterbacks, mm. stands to reason wide receivers are more expensive. But kind of interesting here, like wide receivers, the top 36 wide receivers are drafted 3.5 spots earlier. Uh, Hayden has here and then wide receivers 61 through 78 are drafted seven picks later so there is this thing where you could argue that 
tacking on some of these really late round wide receivers is an edge right now. I've I've been drafting Robert Woods, man. <laughs> I've started drafting Robert Woods, and I just it's so gross. And mm-hmm. uh, I brought it up on ship chasing last night, and like I literally just got disappointed looks from Pete and Ben, and then they moved on without commenting. But like the there, I think there might be something to, and maybe it's not Woods, but it, there's I think there could be some value in these like really late wide receivers who have jobs or clear paths to consistent playing time, um, and that may become like more clear over time, like which guys actually have that. But that's why I'm kind of into Isaiah Hodgins. I think he, he's like kind of rather clearly their X wide receiver right now. I don't see anyone that can really challenge him for that. Um, you know, Van Jefferson's been moving up, but he's, he was definitely a part of that. Uh, and then, yeah, Woods, I'm like looking at the contract. I'm like, he's basically got as much as Adam Thielen got. He's two years younger. He's now two years off an ACL tear. So maybe he would be a little bit better than he was last year. And he actually rated pretty well in ESPN's open score, even though his yards per hour run was quite poor last year. So I'm like, hey, man, he's going to play. <laughs> Tutu Atwell, I take some time. I'm like, I think he's going to play. These these guys are really gross, but there's – but, you know, per this chart here, they, they are cheaper than usual, so I am mixing some of them in. Uh, Puka Nakua is the one I always mix in. Interesting. Just because of the rushing upside, like – Sean McVay had to get tired. Like Debo Samuel, the last four years since Sean McVay was with the Rams and Debo got drafted, um, he's averaged 11.2 yards per touch against the Rams. Like McVay has had to have gotten tired of it. I like this narrative. And just said, finally, I'm getting my own Debo. Like, screw this. And apparently at OTAs right now, they are using Nakua like in every position. They're just letting him run uh, as a running back. He's running routes. They're doing everything with him. So I've heard buzz at OTAs on him. So yeah, he's someone I, I just sneak in there. But again, he's also could be that guy I talked about where he may not breathe on an NFL field like for right. all I know but he's still someone I always like to tack on especially as I'm targeting Rams players and the second wide receiver for the Rams is entirely wide open it probably is Van Jefferson but Van Jefferson's also a deep threat and I question like his actual target share um, even though his spike weeks will probably be fine with Stafford healthy but yeah targeting guys like that I think is good I think is fine Robert Woods I still question their wide receivers coach, the Texans, Ben McDaniels, has just weird obsession with blocking wide receivers, and I don't get it. That's why they went out and prioritized Noah Brown, um, Robert Woods, a handful of others. They apparently will have – you have to have concerted routes and a, and a package for Tank Dell because he's just a unique, small, figurine-sized yeah. wide receiver. And so although they're talking about him high in OTAs, I do question like what he can actually do in the NFL. Um, and he's the one who's kind of getting steamed above all the other second options behind Nico Collins. So I still just pack my bags on Nico Collins, even though Nico I like Nico Collins a lot. But but the issue now, this last 48 hours, is that since DeAndre Hopkins does live in Houston, um, he did visit with the Texans. That's a real thing since his family's in Houston. And I'm really worried about it because Nico then would be useless. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I'd have a lot of a lot of best ball teams to mourn. And he's not he's not pissed, although he should be at McNair. Uh, the Bill O'Brien issue is where it got personal, which is why he would never go back to Houston. With Brett O'Brien no longer there, um, I do actually think the Texans are a real possibility to sneak in if they're offering more money than the Chiefs. Interesting. All right, well. If he doesn't sign there, what I heard is that 
I'm getting uh, I'm getting Alan Lazard, but in the 18th round when I take Robert Woods. Is that is that fair? No, that's not fair at all. What do you? Alan Lazard out targeted Christian Watson. Like everyone talks about Christian Watson's touchdowns, and it's fine. We're we're going for ceilings and spike. Uh, Alan Watson is an offensive tackle who runs routes. Okay. okay. Uh, but Lazard averaged six point seven targets per game to Watson's four point seven per game from week ten on last year. Whenever everyone boasts about Watson's stats, uh, Watson just scored touchdowns. He has drops and he scores touchdowns. That's what he does. Well, so, and he also catches yeah. the ball really far downfield, which we do. Yes. Love. Or when he doesn't score touchdowns, it's ugly and he doesn't produce anything for you. But it's fine. He has spike weeks. It's okay. Uh, so, no, 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 no. That's offensive to Alan Lazard. Alan <laughs> Lazard is actually, can actually earn targets. That's not fair. Am I getting, and am I getting uh, Adam Thielen, but better? You may just be getting Adam Thielen. How do you feel about that? <laughs> is that okay? Hey, at least it's cheaper. It's cheaper, though. I, Adam Thielen got $25 million that No one talks about it anymore. So, that could be good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. You've talked about OTAs a few times and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of grinding the, the OTA stuff a little bit, mm-hmm. but what, what do you recommend if people are trying to, cause I think maybe this OTA period, uh, you know, you, you mentioned maybe being more important than training camp in some ways, it's certainly less covered than training camp. So if the two are equally um, important for updating our priors on all these players then you're going to be able to stay ahead of the competition a little bit more with OTA so what are you what's your kind of like media consumption recommendation for people if they're trying to get an edge right now there's unfortunately a lot of resting going on right now and so that's actually what I'm utilizing is trying to figure out who the backups are behind the players that are resting Jerome Mm. Ford is the most obvious but I'm basically looking for every Jerome Ford in every offense the Vikings one I'm watching intently, even though we're not going to know in the next two weeks since Dwayne McBride has been injured. Um, so they only have Ty Chandler and Kane Wongu uh, competing for that, what would be the second spot, unless McBride shows up in training camp. And he could. Uh, we both know the type of runner McBride is. Like All he does is explode for 10-plus yard runs. And so it takes one day, and suddenly he's the number two. So I, I don't mind taking advantage and just taking that lottery ticket right now, still assuming Dalvin Cook will be cut by the weekend. But that's kind of the news I'm looking for at this time. Um, also, OTAs were when we learned most three wide receiver sets last year, especially some questionable ones. Like Isaiah McKenzie, I know it didn't work out, but Isaiah McKenzie started in three wide sets and did so in OTAs as well for the Bills last year. So that's just the kind of stuff I'm looking for personally. And like the RB3s and 4s, since they have a chance to become the backup running backs and get those best ball playoff spot starts. Have you uh, found any kind of interesting nuggets so far? Any any good depth chart nuggets? I already talked about Nakua. Um, High on Travion Williams as a... Last round pick, it seems like Williams is the backup over Chase Brown. Also, remember Chase Brown didn't play special teams his last two year Illinois. So I don't I question just like I did with Tyrion Davis Price last year if he can even be active on game day since he doesn't contribute anything. If they have Chris Evans and Travion, who both were active to be on special teams in the playoffs last year, so uh, I do like Travion quite a bit. Um, I'm still searching out the the Cowboys backup situation. If Dalvin cooks cut, it could just be drowned out anyways. Maybe they add him, which would just tank Tony Pollard, at least at his ADP right now. But with only Deuce Vaughn and Ronald Jones and Malik Davis, I'm trying to figure out which one is the backup. And if anything, maybe that just tells us to keep on drafting Tony Pollard even higher 
even higher than what he's going right now. And beyond that, a little sorry to jump in, but I I took I've taken a little Deuce Vaughn because I I don't I don't know that he needs to be the backup. You know, he's because he's not going to be like a true backup. He's like a Tariq Cohen type of, you know, scat back type. And they seem it seems like they're kind of excited about him. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to hear it because it besmirches Ramondre Stevenson, but Ty Montgomery is yet again being oh, used no. as the team's pass catching back. Oh, and remember, no. and remember, Ty Montgomery led all their running backs and targets in Week One last year, uh, three fifteen and a touchdown in Week One as well. Outsnapped Ramondre Stevenson 10-0 on third and fourth down as the team's pass catching back, and he's a wide receiver. Did he get hurt? Did he, did he get hurt? Is that he gets, that's that's the yeah. evergreen yeah. retweet every single year. Tom Montgomery got hurt. <laughs> uh, but also, he's a wide receiver on underdog. So you could tack him on as your wide receiver nine. He's not a running back. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, but that's I want him to be a running back. I need, I need running back points. Not wide receiver I mean, points. but if we're going to get the pass catching back as our wide receiver nine or ten, I'm okay with that. You know we did this, right, with um, Cordell Patterson two years ago. Like, no one really took him because he was a wide receiver. Um, mm. And he still he still paid off quite well. That's a good um, point. And so yeah, that's kind of the the little news nuggets I've learned so far. It's still very early. Yeah, uh, I'm Hayden also talks about contracts a lot. I, I'm also gleaning into contracts. That's what kind of gets me back to Boston Scott too, because like Boston Scott is making more money than the rest of those bums. Rashad like Rashad Penny, DeAndre Swift, all these guys on one year deals, and Boston Scott's getting paid the most out of all of them. It makes no sense at all. So I don't know. I'm just I'm just toying around with everything right now. One depth chart I, I'm very curious about um, is the Rams. Mm-hmm. I think the, the in the in uh, at the running back position, I think Zach Evans versus Kyron Williams is kind of interesting because I could see, you know, Cam Akers started to look better uh, at the end of the year. Obviously, he had that mm-hmm. big explosion in the playoffs, but they didn't seem like that committed to him at times, right? Like he was almost off the team at points last yeah. year, so. Yeah, but I, I think you still have to add context to all that. Um, like they, they, it was a mutual agreement that he was moving on because he was pissed about his touches, and Sean McVay was just trying to help him. And then, of course, nobody wanted a running back. No one wanted Saquon Barkley. No one wanted Austin Eckler. It's nowadays you can't convince yourself to get traded. You have to get cut. And they didn't want to cut him. That was the odd thing. They could have just parted ways. They didn't want to. And then. Once that was settled and it was water under the bridge, they just moved forward. It's okay, you're our running back now. And then he handled 83% of the team's touches over the last six games. So I think it was just them being upset at one another and finally working something out with Baker Mayfield under center because their season was already gone by then. Right, right. So Are Cam you- Akers, by the way, I even wrote in my tears, uh, I think he's actually the best value at running back right now. We talk about these later round guys. Uh, just, just understanding the situation and what he did last year, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, that's someone we want to be higher on, especially if you don't believe the Kyron Williams, Zach Evans hype, whatever that is. Right. I know Ben Gretsch is high on him, too. Um, one one thing I'm trying to think through as we kind of think about how the landscape is going to shift going forward is like we do have DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to go somewhere. But then we also have these three veteran running backs hanging out in Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott and Kareem Hunt. And I don't know, like, what do you feel like they're just kind of waiting for the right situation or the right contract? Or is this are they going to sign once an injury occurs? Um, Because there are a number of situations like uh, Gretsch last night on chip chasing was saying, like, he had projected out Rashad White. And 
added in a veteran running back because like there were just too many touches. And I'm like, I, I think that's probably fair. But at the same time, there are some situations where we don't want to get too carried away with like projected workloads in June. But, you know, in his case, it's like, man, he could see a lot of touches if they don't sign anybody or, you know, uh, there's a number of other situations where it's like there does appear to be the potential for this guy to really get a lot of work. But yet you do have these lurking free agents who are the types who could kind of handle a lot of touches. Mm -hmm. And for them, at least we can rule out Leonard Fournette uh, since that's already done. Right. Yeah. It would, ha yeah. It would have to be Zeke or Kareem Hunt. Uh, Zeke's the one that continues looming that will definitely land somewhere. Uh, Bengals, Jets, Bucks, or Cowboys is my guess. But honestly, even then, what do they provide if they land somewhere? So I'm actually not someone who's been taking them. Uh, spot starts, a la Latavius Murray, are certainly possible, where he popped up for top 24 finishes out of nowhere. Uh, definitely can happen. It could happen with Latavius Murray in Buffalo, actually, too. But good. I, I haven't, for better or worse, been taking those guys just yet. I think they're going to drown someone, cannibalize someone more so than provide value themselves. Rashad White's also an interesting one because, like, it is obvious we should avoid this Bucks offense. Um, right. I don't want to outright avoid or just say I can't draft any player. Josh Jacobs taught me a lot of lessons last year after I basically went in with none. Um, but at the same time, like, Rashad White does seem like a really easy one that just goes away. Uh, there, there's no way the Bucks, after leading the league in pass attempts in back-to-back -back years, they do so again without Tom Brady. 82% um, of the Bucks running back targets last year came within two yards of the line of scrimmage because Brady also ranked top two in time from snap to throw. The offensive right. line was shit, so we just got rid of the ball. There's no way Kyle Trask or Baker Mayfield even understand that. They can't compute in NFL fields. So um, there's no way like the Bucks get that target share or those easy catches again either. So it, it's it's just a situation that I just keep on saying. I don't want any of this mess. But I guess not for Rashad White, but if Godwin and Evans were to continue to fall in the right spots, I still take them. Yeah, I kind of gotten back on board with Godwin a little bit because um, enough, enough sharp people are on him. But he scares me um, in part because, like, he's more of a volume play where, I mean, the Bucks could be punting a lot. I'm in one of these uh, uh, eliminator leagues uh, that Fantasy Cares guys do. Mm -hmm. And um, they, uh, it, I, I've, I've reached a couple times now. I'm actually in two. I, in both leagues, I've taken the, the Bucks punter. Can't remember his name. Camarda? I've taken the punter because they, they, they score like everything. Coaches, punters, kickers, defenses, right? So I've reached for the punter of the Bucks. I'm like, this guy's going to be punting more than anyone in the history of the league. Like Godwin's dot 7.3 last year is an absolute joke. I know people have tweets. It's like Tyler Boyd-esque. Yes. Even I did this last year where uh, I have tweets about um, his targets and catches or whatever, but it doesn't matter because they come, you know, right in front of the line of scrimmage. At OTAs, he has been used at both positions, the boundary and the slot. So mm. maybe there's a little something there about him getting schemed more targets like the Bucks used to do with Mike Evans whenever Chris Godwin was injured. But again, that was a Brady-led offense. I have zero faith in this coaching staff and these players. So I don't know. I still take him as a wide receiver four whenever I do go that RB-RB starts, but that's kind of where I draw the line. And I just hope Mike Evans is traded. Yeah, that would, that would certainly make things a lot easier. Um, For both of them, yeah. For both of them, yeah. It also make Russell Gage kind of interesting, and make K. Dotton a little more interesting too. Um, Russell Gage is the one still getting 
handsomely overpaid 18th round every time it's disgusting but Do you, are you taking gauge no not really but at the same time if one were traded it does make sense yeah it, he's tough for me because he's so gross that if no one gets traded i was like oh man i got i got you know a 70 percent route rate guy on the bucks like that's just so so kate cool. Otten is russell gauge yeah yeah yeah, give me the. He's got to at least have tight end eligibility if I'm going that gross. Um, any other uncertain situation? I mean, we kind of touched on the Giants one. That one's one of my favorites to think through. Uh, are you, are you, what about Wandale Robinson on the Giants? We talked about some of the other guys, but he could be pretty interesting as a second year breakout guy, but also has like competition from, I believe, eight different humans. Yes, a lot of them. Um, and if someone were to, fall through and just not get used i think it would be jalen hyatt actually uh, i i really question his ability at the next level i think it's going to take a lot of time to develop him after he was un- unable to play in three wide sets in that gimmicky tennessee offense in his final year despite catching 15 touchdowns um but more so than the giants because i think it's at least down to a, a handful of players like paris campbell sterling shepherd isaiah hodgins and darius slayton and at least Darius Slayton and Hodgins are different than all these other slot guys out there. Hodgins also led them in end zone targets over the second half of the season. He was really useful, which is also yeah. makes me question what Buffalo saw in him because they just cut him too. And I think it was in week five, they had him and they said, we don't want this guy. So I don't know. He grew into a good player under Brian Dable though, but I think the chiefs are also interesting oh, because yeah. That's I don't trust, I don't trust any of the high ADP guys. Uh, they already showed us they don't want to give Kadarius, Tony, and Sky more actual receiver routes, just Mickey Mouse routes underneath. And if they're tinkering on adding DeAndre Hopkins, that already drowns out those two. If they're also re-signing Justin, uh, Justin Watson after he led them in routes run whenever Freudian others were injured. Yeah, whenever the others were injured, I don't mind that. Richie James, for whatever you want to say about Richie James, has earned targets as early as last year. Yeah, like yeah. led the Giants in targets at some in some games as their slot receiver. So I honestly think he's immediately better than Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore in earning targets. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a lot to there, and I know people are doing the Justin Ross thing. I don't know, undrafted free agent, injured every year since 2019. Not my cup of tea. But getting unique with DeAndre Hopkins and Richie James tagged on at the end, I definitely I don't mind that. I think I'm into the Justin Ross thing. I haven't heard a single sharp person say to believe in it. And and everyone that I know is drafting Richie James. I think I might just go the other way and draft some Justin Ross. Now yeah, I have drafted okay. Richie James, and I think it's a good pick, um, especially in DraftKings with the 20, the 20 rounds. But um, They also said, the Chiefs said that they are, special teams coach, said they're likely going to have new returners this year. And although... <laughs> oh, you don't say. Sky Moore did not do particularly yeah. well in that role. And so one... If Sky Moore is not returning punts, is even active. That makes me question that because Oof. he doesn't do anything else. And then two, one, they mentioned Daenerys Prince first, the running back they drafted, as the, the guy with the, the leg up and kick returns. But remember, Richie James is a giant starting punt returner last year too. So at least he'll be active on game days as well. That's 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 an important thing. I'm glad you mentioned that. I didn't even hear you say Rasheed Rice. Are you out on him? Oh, of, co- of course. I didn't even mention him. Oh, no, I, I love Rasheed Rice. I'm, I'm above oh. ADP in my rankings. Uh, just the, just the fact that he's played every position. Uh, I understand video game production in a smaller conference, yada, yada, but 
Two years ago, 83% boundary rate. Last year, 97% slot rate. So he's had production in both areas of the field, which means he can play and stay on the field no matter who they throw into that slot area. Um, also, just a, maybe it means nothing, but the train with Patrick Mahomes this offseason too. And Mahomes like, was the one who literally chipped in and said, we should draft Rasheed Rice. I like Rice a lot. That's never gone wrong. Never gone wrong, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did Mahomes go to Apex Gym and train with and train with Sky Moore before last? Year? <laughs> yeah, it must. I have, need man. to know this. He must have. Uh, man, Ceh uh, still on the roster. Um, no, I I, I like Rasheed <laughs> Rice. I think his ADP is one thirty one. I'm, I'm slightly ahead of it. Okay, all right. That's interesting. I think to me, like I've kind of been wavering on Sky Moore a little bit. I I've like. Um, taken some of them, but he's gone. I think he's been too expensive throughout because he does have a payoff. Uh, if he could just basically take the juju role, you know, I think he's the most natural fit for kind of the underneath pure slot juju role this year. But if he doesn't have that, like he is a zero because he, he won't be active on game day if he's not starting. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even have an opinion on Kadarius Tony's regular season. I cannot get over the fact that all they did Super Bowl week was hype him up to the media, and then he played nine snaps and had one target on a Mickey Mouse route, where in the second half, all Eric Bieniemy did was go into the locker room, adjust the game plan, understanding that the field was horrible, and made all the receivers just run little short routes to make defensive backs slip on the field. Um, I cannot get over the fact that Kadarius Tony was useless. Can't do it. He ran five routes, and he ran three routes the week before. Great. That's Wonderful. crazy. That's yeah, I mean, dude. Dude, his his he is going the round that he has been selecting in seventy eighty being selected seventy. In. Yeah, Tyler Lockett is going sixty six. Tyler Lockett has outscored DK Metcalf, who's going thirty and points per game the last two years. And Kadarius Tony's going four spots behind Tyler Lockett. What the hell he's, is happening in this world? He's going two rounds earlier than the number of routes he's run in his last two games. <laughs> that's that's the stat right there. Yes. <laughs> Sixth round ADP, eight routes run in his last two games. That's that's Man, wild. I, I cannot yeah. get over that little Mickey Mouse, those Mickey <laughs> Mouse routes. There's no way. I mean, it is uh, – I, I think it's been a little illuminating how, like, quickly people have gotten really nervous about DeAndre Hopkins signing. And obviously, like, DeAndre Hopkins signing would be bad for – Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis, they went to Buffalo and, you know, it'd be bad for Amari Cooper if he went to the Browns. But I don't think if he goes to the Browns, I don't think Amari Cooper's ADP craters, right? If he goes to the Bills, like Gabe Davis isn't like a 14th round pick, I don't think. But I, mean, I think Darius Tony, he might be. If if Hopkins goes there, like where does Tony fall to? It, it could be it could be over. And the last one that Hayden, who's gotten mentioned a lot on this show, has brought us both around to is understanding the cap and what's been allotted to Hunter Renfro. And it mm. seems like Hunter Renfro is definitely going to be we're projecting a casualty here in the next few weeks. And if that's the case, as a above average slot receiver, he does make a lot of sense for a lot of good teams. Um, the Bills in particular. So I have been drafting a little more Hunter Renfro where initially I didn't want any part of it. So I, I didn't realize – I misunderstood. I thought Hayden was saying that he was a trade candidate, but, but he might even get cut. Is that the idea? Um, both. So you know how this works. Everyone says they're on the trading block. No one tries right, to trade right. for this player, and then they just cut him. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I think Hunter Renfro can play, so that's a that's an interesting mm -hmm. one too. 
And all right, as long as he's not on the Raiders, that's what matters. That is what matters right now. Uh, Josh McDaniel, I don't know. Uh, immediately washed out of Denver. Oh, you know, you know, I do know. Yeah, I do. Not very good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, Daigle. That that wraps it up. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Tell the people what you got going on at four for four. Best ball tiers, and that's what we just talked on the site right now, breaking breaking down every position. A lot of big picture stuff, plus micro analysis on players last seasons and why I'm projecting them for higher or lower than ADP this year. And then from that point forward, you can just subscribe to the most accurate podcast wherever you listen to your podcast at uh, two episodes per week. And that's where I'll be at. Beautiful. Um, if you have not signed up for legendary upside, you can do so at legendaryupside.com slash early and get 30, $30 off. Uh, and I do still have some underdog credits left. So if you sign up, uh, go fill out the form, which is in the description of this pod and uh, give me your username and I'll send it over to underdog. You'll get a $50 underdog credit in about a week in your account uh, i've got some articles coming out on the site look for those uh i'm planning to drop the first one of them on monday morning so it's been a little bit since i got some stuff published but that's partly because i'm working on DraftKings rankings in addition to the underdog rankings that i have on the site planning on getting those ready to go for monday as well so monday there'll be some some good new content for uh for all you best ball sickos uh have a good weekend thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time